Now, if you look at the culture right now, it's no secret that families are under attack. With so many families struggling, we want to equip you to build a healthy, Christ-centered family. Today, my guest, Erin Davis, is back on the show. She'll be talking about developing a Christ-centered family calendar. Welcome back, Erin. It is so great to have you back on the show. Oh, I'm so glad to be back. Anytime I get to be with other moms talking about motherhood, that's a good day. Yay, that's awesome. I know that it's going to be a blessing. I love this topic, Christ-centered family calendar. Let's talk a little bit about what does it mean by having a Christ-centered family calendar? What is the difference between a day-to-day calendar and what you're going to be talking about? Well, I think it is probably as mundane as our day-to-day calendar, but if you, like, what is the one thing that I could pull out of your home or your life and know that Jesus is Lord of your family, it's probably your calendar or maybe your bank statements. I mean, because (laughs) where our treasure is, that's where our heart is. Right. reverse that where our heart is, then that's where we put our treasure and our greatest treasure is time. We know that. So how we spend our time uh, is a really strong indicator of if we are building our family around King Jesus, Mm -hmm. building it around something else. Now that's like a big blanket statement. So if you were to pull out the Davis family calendar, you would not find us going to church 12 hours a day. You would find us doing some really normal things. I've got all boys. We go to basketball games. We hang out with friends. But there are rhythms that are evident in our calendar that would indicate that we love Jesus and we mm-hmm. want to serve him. And as Christians, I think we should all have those kinds of rhythms on our calendars. Now, you talk about rhythms um, in your calendar. Tell me a little bit about what you do in your family. Well, church day is a big one. And I've, I have a teenager now and a preteen. And so we're starting to have to renegotiate all of this because mm-hmm sports could very easily take over our Sundays. And for my husband and I, we just are like, yeah, we're, we're thrilled for our kids to participate in sports. We're thrilled to be a part of it, but that's Sunday morning church. And that Sunday night youth group, those are non-negotiables. Nothing's Mm going to touch that. Um, And so that's one of our rhythms. Another rhythm is rest and that we see that all over our Bibles, this concept of Sabbath and in 2022 or 2032 or 2042, whenever you're listening to this, our (laughs) society is just built at such a pace that rest requires some real intentionality. So Mm. we have a big calendar on the refrigerator uh, for our family and rest is actually scheduled on the calendar. And again, that's Mm non-negotiable. I mean, it never fails that if we've scheduled and it it flexes a little bit, but if Saturday is our rest day, we'll get invited to something or something will come up and we just say, no, that's that's the day that we're going to rest. So those are some of our weeklies. There's also things in the course of an annual calendar, uh, the ways we observe Christmas, the ways we observe Easter, some of those holidays that come up, even the ways we observe birthdays and some of those things that we just have annual rhythms to keep Mm -hmm. us together to Jesus and his word. Now you talk about rest, right? So being intentional about resting, what do you mean by resting and how do you rest? Mm, I'm so bad at it. I like it. <laughs> it takes everything I have to force myself to rest. But for us, it is a lack of activity. 
Mm-hmm. Now, for me, laying on the couch for hours at a time watching a movie is not restful. It makes me feel a little bit frenetic. But husband and my boys are thrilled to lay on the couch and watch a movie <laughs> and I'll go take a nap. But it's just like this is not the day that we're going to run errands. This is not the day we're going to have friends over. It's not the day we're going to go to friends houses, although that's all really important. It's not the day that we're going to even necessarily go do something fun. Uh, because that can be taxing on energy too. This is the day that we rest. And usually it's like leftover day at my house. I don't cook. I pull out the leftovers or I put something on the crock in the crock pot and people can eat at their own pace. It's not the day that I enforce chores, even though I do that on other days. And even though that can sometimes mean my house is a mess, it's just, a, it's an interruption of our regular busyness and our regular rhythms. And everybody's probably fueled a little bit differently in my house, but we kind of know what fuels your tank, fills your tank, what fills my tank. And we protect that for each other, but it's hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is hard. I mean, I mean, as you're saying, you know, I'm just thinking that having a toddler who is four years old, like, how do I rest? Right. Yeah. <laughs> Resting is important. Um, and she gets her two hour nap or quiet time and I get my rest time and she knows that's my rest time. Yeah. But resting for a day, it's it is hard, especially, you know, for our family, we love going out and doing things. And but as you're talking, it just feels like peace mm-hmm. you know it's just about peace and rest <laughs> as you were yeah, talking I mean about I have it. a three-year-old so we have kids in the same phase and you know he doesn't want to take a nap mm-hmm. but he has to that's that's the rule we enforce it when we're having rest time you are in your room till mommy or daddy comes to get you and also this is not the day you've got we'll get the play-doh out we'll put the legos out you can play independently but this is not the day I'm going to take you to an amusement park. This is not the day that I'm going to plan a bunch. This is just a low key day. I've had to teach my children to rest. They've had to teach me to rest. It's a learned behavior, Yeah, um, but it can be learned. Yeah, no, that's great. Uh, that's a really great point. You know, in the Bible, we talks about the seven feasts in Leviticus. And it says the feast of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations. These are my feast. Now, can you expand a little bit more on that? What are the seven feasts? Oh, man, I could talk about this from now to the end of time because it, so- <laughs> it actually I discovered the feast several years ago when I just had two little ones and I would get to the end of a holiday, Christmas or Thanksgiving or anything. And I just felt so beat up, exhausted from trying to create a holiday, driving to friends and family's house, doing all the cooking and all that was required. I thought this can't be what God intends for my holidays that I just absolutely wrung out by. So I started to study the Jewish holidays because I just wanted to think, how can I, and I would miss Jesus. Mm -hmm. Like even Christmas and Easter, I would get to the end of it and go, I never prayed to Jesus. I never thought about Jesus. I just got the eggs filled and made the cakes and roasted the turkey and all that stuff. And I didn't want that. I wanted there to be sacred rhythms in my life and in my family's life. So I started studying uh, Jewish traditions And uh, I'm not Jewish, I'm a Christian, but I knew that like, there's something to those rhythms that God Mm -hmm. gave his people in the Old Testament. And Leviticus 23, you're right. Context of that is that God's people had been delivered from their slavery in Egypt. And he was giving them essentially there in Leviticus, the rules to live by in the promised land. So Mm -hmm. it's like, no, you guys have been slaves. You don't know how to formulate your own days. You've just had somebody telling you make bricks, make bricks, make bricks. Now you have free time and I'm going to give you 
some rhythms for how to use that time. And he gave them those seven feasts and they were essentially their annual calendar. So like our calendar has Valentine's day and St. Patrick's day and Thanksgiving and Easter and Christmas, this was theirs. And each feast was so exciting to me about the seven feasts is that each feast really directly correlates to the gospel. Mm. So he was telling these people in the old Testament, here's how you're going to tell the story of the gospel every year. But they didn't even know what the gospel was. Right. They, they were waiting for a Messiah, but they didn't have all that we have. They didn't have the whole Bible. So year after year, God's people celebrated these seven feasts and they were proclaiming these beautiful truths that I'm sure they didn't understand. They were pointing forward to Jesus. And so I love them. Now, I don't think that as New Testament followers of Jesus, that we are compelled to mm -hmm. observe the seven feasts exactly like we see in the scripture. They were. I mean, the consequences of not observing some of the feasts were pretty severe. God was serious about it. But I think we can take the spirit of the feast, which is that God is in control of my year. God gave me this year. And the purpose of this year is for me to honor him. Mm -hmm. And there are things from it we can take. Like they were all feasts. So mm -hmm. You know, they enjoyed family, they enjoyed certain foods, they had certain ways that they could point to Jesus. And so I just took the principles of the feasts and mm -hmm. I've tried to apply them to how my family observes our regular holidays. I don't look at the feasts and go, oh, we should never observe St. Patrick's Day because it's not the Day of Atonement. Yeah. Uh, but I do look at the feasts and go, you know what, there's ways for my families, the way we spend our holidays to be about Jesus, even if you know, when that holiday was originally founded, it wasn't. Yeah. We can make it about him at home. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love it. And you talk about taking, you know, the principle of the feast, right. And applying it to the way uh, for us as believer to implement it. Can you share some of the ways that you have done? Yeah. I mean, every feast involves food, family, and faith. Mm -hmm. And so that can be true for us too. Uh, I mentioned St. Patrick's Day that we always do corned beef and cabbage at my house for St. Patrick's <laughs> Day. That's like our St. Patrick's Day meal. But we also always tell the story of St. Patrick, which was a saint who loved the Lord very much mm -hmm. and gave his life sacrificially for him. So it's not about shamrocks at our house and it yeah. might be about shamrocks at other houses. In fact, the community that we live in has a large unit University and St. Patrick's is like this blowout drinking <laughs> fest in our town. Right. And we don't obviously want to participate in that, but we can say to our boys, hey, some people are spending this day getting drunk. We're spending this day enjoying time with each other. We'll invite family members over, grandparents or cousins who aren't normally with us for dinner. We'll enjoy this meal and we'll hear the story of St. Patrick. Um, same with Valentine's Day. You know that people say, oh, that's a commercial holiday started by card companies. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. But if the theme is love, Jesus is love. Right. Uh, and we love because he first loved, uh, loved us. And so, um, you know, I do Valentine's Day. My boys always get new books for Valentine's Day. They're always waiting for them at the table when they come down. I always do heart-shaped pancakes and strawberry milk. And um, then we will read verses about God is love, love because he first loved us when mm. he's the author of love. So I kind of love it when, you know, the culture creates a holiday and they're just, they're really celebrating what God has told us about himself, whether they recognize it or not. So Christmas, we observe Advent. So yeah. you know, every day we're looking forward to the moment when Christ came and talking about the fact that he's going to come again. So everything is by Jesus and everything is for Jesus. So yeah. if you're intentional, you can have your conversations be about him for every holiday. 
Right. I love how um, every time I speak to you, just basically talking, sharing our faith with intentionality with our children, because I remember the last time when I spoke to you about, I think it was around the time of Pride Month or something. And I asked you, how did you approach the situation whereby the Pride flags were all around and you basically just turned it into an opportunity of prayer and how, like, you know, how now you're implementing holidays for example, like you were talking about St. Patty's Day and Valentine's Day and just kind of implement it into the way we would see Jesus and how Jesus loves us. And I love that. Thank you so much for sharing that. Well, I really think holidays and celebrations and food and family, it's all his idea. I mean, yeah. he wants to be a part of it. So we can talk about him. That That's also Leviticus. Just talk about him when you're on the road and when you're walking and put it on your doorpost and put just Jesus everywhere right. and everything is the way to honor him. Right. Amen. Now, you know, obviously God wants us to live out a life of purity too, right? Hence in the Bible, he talks about the feast. He talks about unleavened bread, right? Can you share a little bit more about that? Yeah, I'm happy to. So leaven, anytime leaven is used in scripture, it's a representation of sin. And Jesus talked about this. It was in the Old Testament too. When Jesus talked about it, he said, doesn't a little bit of leaven spoil the whole loaf? Mm -hmm. Meaning like if you put yeast in your bread dough, all the bread's going to rise. It's going right. to touch everything. And if we think of that in context of sin, there's no really such thing as a little bit of sin that only sin impacts part of our life. Sin is sin. It permeates like yeast, like, like yeast permeates the dough. And it changes us just like yeast changes bread dough. Now, I think to Jesus's hearers and certainly to the Israelites in the Old Testament, this would have been a really practical part of their everyday life. They were making bread all the time. They didn't go to the grocery store and buy their bread. So they would have, he was giving them an, a daily object lesson to understand the impact of sin. Mm-hmm. We're a little bit removed from that. Like you probably have some mamas that make their own bread, which is awesome. But for the most part, we are a little bit removed from that process. So it might not be a daily object lesson for us, but communion is the observance of this in the modern era. Mm. Uh, I don't know what you guys eat for communion at your church, but it should be unleavened bread because that's Mm -hmm. what Jesus ate with his with his followers at that first Passover. So at my church, thanks to COVID, it's like this styrofoamy wafer (laughs) thing. (laughs) But that idea is like, God, I am coming before you because I'm a sinner. I've sinned in my life. I've sinned in my heart and I need you to forgive me and I need you to cleanse me of it. So, and I have a theory about um, communion. Jesus gave that ritual to his disciples, obviously in the upper room at that Passover that he observed with them, which is one of the seven feasts. And he said, every time you do this, remember my body broken for you. Remember Mm -hmm. my blood poured out for you. And we think of that as every time you observe communion, but I think he meant every time you eat, every time you gather with Mm. other followers of Jesus, every time you have sin in your life, remember my body was broken to take care of that. And so you really can. I mean, if you and your husband have a big old fight, you can get a cracker and some ginger ale and observe communion and say, God's cleanse us of this. Right. Uh, and thank you that you died, that we could be free or your kids, you lose your temper with your kids. I've had to do that. <laughs> I'll be I, taking communion all the time. I <laughs> sinned there. I sinned against you there. Right. And that sin permeates me and it permeates our family. I need you to forgive me. Uh, so, you know, I think he was giving us again, a rhythm yeah. to remind us who he is and what he's done to yeah. keep our hearts turned toward him. 
And I think they were talking about with our kids and stuff like that. And it's so funny, like kids will continue to test you, you know, all the time. Right. And especially now having a four year old, she keeps testing me and I've lost it a couple of times. But yet I've had to model it right in front of her and say, you know, will you forgive me? And and sometimes she'll be like, mommy, I think you should ask God for forgiveness. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, I'm like, you're right. I do. You know, and I think you do too, because you disobeyed the Lord. Right. That's right. Um, I I may have said this the last time we talked, but that's really my, probably my firmest conviction about how we model Jesus in our families is that God isn't most glorified. The gospel isn't most displayed by perfect families. Right. Why would we need the gospel? The gospel is put on display by being um, parents who are sinners, raising children who are sinners, who need Jesus and us saying, yeah, I sinned. I need Jesus. You sinned. You need Jesus. We as a family, we sin against each other. We sin against others. We need Jesus. That is another really good rhythm. I keep saying that word that I think displays Mm. the gospel. Mm, amen. Now, you know, the, the third feast talks about first fruits, mm-hmm. right? So what, tell me a little bit more about that. Oh, well, it was, uh, you know, they were an agrarian culture. They were about to be an agrarian culture. When they first got the feast handed to them, they had been enslaved, um, but they were about to move into the promised land and um, God was going to give them farms, essentially. Mm-hmm. And he implemented this feast for harvest season, which was that the first fruits, which is, you know, when it sounds like the first fruit on the vine, the first grain that's ready to harvest, that that would be collected intentionally by the whole people of Israel. They would all work together to bring in the crop and that it would give be given to the Lord as a grain offering. And he was teaching them the same thing he wants to teach us. He was teaching them everything is mine. Mm-hmm. Anything you have, I've shared with you. And so give it back to me as your way of saying that you want to surrender your lives to me. And so they did that year after year after year. Yeah. They would bring in the first fruits and give it to him. Now, the applications in our life are twofold. First is pretty practical, which is that the first fruits of our life belong to him. Mm-hmm. So that means our time. We don't try to give God the time that's left over at the end of the day or the week right. because there will, won't be any. It's the principle of the tithe, which is that we right off the top, we give God Mm -hmm. 10% at a minimum uh, of our income because he gave it to us anyway. It's all his. Mm -hmm. He could easily have required he got 90% and we only get to keep 10%. And that still would have been generous. But it means our other resources, whatever other resources we have, that God gets the best of us because he deserves it. But there's a deeper I think more profound application of the Feast of First Fruits, which is that uh, the New Testament calls Jesus the first fruits among the dead. Mm. And the thing of first fruits is if there are first fruits, there are always second fruits. And so what that means is that Jesus is the first of the dead to resurrect and have eternal life. Now you can say, what about Lazarus? What about some of the people in the New Testament he healed? Well, they were resurrected only to die again, but Jesus was resurrected to never to die forever. Right. Life. And if there are first fruits, there will be second fruits. And mm-hmm. we are the second fruits because of what Jesus did. We will someday rise and experience nothing but eternal life. So it's a really pretty cool feast in yeah. all the things that I think God was wanting to tell us in it. Amen. Amen. Now, how can we practically apply that to, you know, part of our Christ-centered calendar? 
Yeah, I think for me and my husband, we are constantly auditing our calendars, meaning we are pulling them out and we're saying, is this all things that we need to do? Have we overcommitted here? We're both pretty mm-hmm. high achievers. So we are more prone to overcommit than undercommit. So we have to evaluate. And I've had seasons in my life where I had some wise Christian women that I would do the same thing with them. Like, okay, guys, here's my calendar for the next three months. What's wise, what's unwise. Mm-hmm. And inevitably they would say, you're not investing enough in your family. You you're, if you're committed three nights a week outside your home and two weekends a month to travel and speak, then you're not giving your family the best of you. And they're totally right. So mm-hmm. I think it, um, one thing you can practically do or a question you can wrestle with is who has access to your calendar? Who's speaking into that from a wise perspective of rightly ordering your life? I just had a woman pray this for me last week. She was praying for me. It was so sweet. And she prayed for my life to be in order. And then when she was done praying, she said, Aaron, think about the out of order bathroom. Nobody wants to use the bathroom that's out of order. It stinks. It's dirty. It's nasty. And the same is true for your life. If it's out of order, it will not be appealing. And she again was speaking into prioritize your husband, prioritize your children, prioritize your time with the Lord. So um, I would just say like our thing you can do today is take your calendar for the next few months or for the year, if you work that far ahead and find a wise woman who loves Jesus and say, does this seem like it's in order? Does it seem like my priorities align with what God would want my priorities to be? And that takes humility. It takes a willingness to listen to them Mm -hmm. and not be defensive, which is what I want to be. Um, And almost always it will be taking things off rather than adding things on, but it might not be, maybe you haven't been in church since the pandemic hit and somebody needs to tell you it's time to go back to church. Or maybe you have some gifts and you're not serving. I don't know what it'd be like you, but I think to submit it to someone who loves you and loves the Lord is one way you can apply the feast of the first fruits. Yeah, no, that's, um, that's excellent. In in the Bible, it also talks about the feast of the tabernacles, right? Mm -hmm. In what ways can we bring personal gifts, vows, free will offerings to the Lord? Obviously God has given each one of us giftings, right? And, and one of them is basically bringing your gifts, whether it's serving in a ministry to glorify him and to further his kingdom. You know, what other things can we do in this daily manner? Well, the Feast of Tabernacles, also sometimes called the Feast of Booths, is really all about God's presence Mm. and the way the Israelites observed it. I'm so glad we don't have to observe it this way, but they would all create shelters that like they would build them out of wood and leaves. And I think it was for a period of a week, look it up in Leviticus 23 to fact check me, but the whole nation of Israel essentially moved into homemade tents and they were celebrating that as they wandered in the wilderness for all those you know, decades that God's presence was with them and that he took care of them. And so I don't believe that we have to move our family into tents for a week, (laughs) the gift of God's presence, thank goodness. Um, But you do have access to God's presence all the time. And I think you can really honor the spirit of that feast by finding time every single day day to be consciously aware that you are in the presence of God. I know he's always with you, but for me, that's moments of quiet with my Bible open. And Mm -hmm. if I'm not incredibly diligent, that moment will not happen ever. Cause you know, as, as parents, from the time we pop open our little eyes, somebody needs something from us. And by the time the day is over, 
or so exhausted that yeah. thought of one more thing is impossible. So it, it, there's no mandate for what it looks like in any woman's life. But for me, it's mornings for you. It might be your lunch break or maybe you're a night owl. I'm not. I'm like dead on the couch by 9 p.m. <laughs> me too. <laughs> that, knowing that I can always go into the presence of God. I don't have to enter uh, the tabernacle like they did in right. the Old Testament. Uh, God doesn't live in a tent or in the tabernacle. He lives in me to find a way to be in his presence every day. And then I talked about... Um, I've called it sacred deprivation before just the idea that nothing is ever sacred because we're running so fast all the time. You have got to find ways for your holidays to usher you into the presence of Jesus and not push you further from him. I mean, it's possible for you to get through Easter Sunday morning, mm-hmm, resurrection mm-hmm. Monday, resurrection Sunday, and just have never even talked to him, never even read the resurrection right. story, never even sung anything from your heart. So I think for you to be really intentional about being in his presence, praying, reading your Bible, singing to him, having read rhythms of that is how we honor that feast in our modern day. Yeah. I think like personally for me, like I have to get up extra early just to like spend that quiet time with him because once my kid is up, it's like, it's just, it just doesn't stop, you know, and the boulder starts rolling down the hill. It's over. And I used to say it doesn't have to be morning. I actually think scripturally you do have to turn your heart to God in the, in the morning or you won't at all. There's all kinds of Psalms and verses about I, in the morning, I turn to you in the morning, I praise you. That's first fruits again, right. is that I'm going to give you the best of my day because you're worthy. Right. Amen. Yeah. You know, uh, it, it's like I, I've tried opening my Bible during the day, but you just kept getting interrupted and I'm not giving God my fullest. You know what I mean? I mean, that's just me personally, for me, it's like, I need to have like that focus. And so mornings are usually like great for me. And that's why I crash at like nine 30 at night. Mm-hmm. I'm like, after she goes to bed, I'm just like, okay, this is my time. <laughs> walking at night after dinner and um, I don't say they can't come with me. I say, I'm going to go on a walk if anybody wants to join me and nobody ever does. But um, <laughs> even that, like mommy needs 20 minutes. It takes almost no time at all. Right. I'm going to go take a walk and it's dark by then and the stars are out and um, it's time with the Lord and it's yeah. so fueling. So there is a way, find that way and stick with it would be mm. my encouragement. Amen. Now I can talk about this with you like for such a long time, right? <laughs> You're just such an awesome Bible teacher. and But we're almost at the end. So I wanted to know, is there anything else that you would like to share with other gems of mothers out there? Yeah, I was thinking about this conversation and praying about it yesterday. And something that came to mind to me is something I say a lot in my work and to the team I lead at work, which is that God, we need to make sure that we honor God as much in the process as we do in the end result, because God doesn't need us for anything. So if we are invited into a process of any kind, there's an opportunity for worship. And I think for you moms and for me too, I'm the pot calling the kettle black. If we execute the quote unquote quote, perfect holiday for our kids. And we didn't glorify God in the process. We were totally stressed out. We were short tempered. We, um, majored in the minors and minored in the majors. You know, we were more concerned with the food than the family that would gather around our table or any number of ways it can go sideways. I don't know how many holidays I've spent 
irritable and then entitled and expecting a thank you and see what I've done. And, and in all that, I, I think God would have rathered I serve my family grilled cheese mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. Joyful and enjoyed my kids and delighted in them and delighted in God. Then I pulled off something else. So I think that could look different for all of us, but I would say mamas, as you're building your calendar uh, daily and monthly and annually, just commit to honor the Lord as much in the process as you do in the end result. And you're going to have Christ-centered calendar if that's your approach. Amen. Now, Erin, I don't mean to put you on the spot, but would you mind praying for our listeners out there? Oh, I'd be honored to do that. Jesus, we love you and we know that you love us. And everything we have is by you and for you. And that includes the way we spend our time and the things we write on our calendars and the way we spend our holidays. So Lord, I just pray for all of the women listening, Lord, that you would show them through your word, what it means to honor you with our days. Your word says our days are numbered. Help us to honor you today and tomorrow and on special days and on humdrum days. And I would pray, especially for the women listening to learn the rhythm of rest. It's really hard to execute. Um, It's hard to do when we have kids at home, but help us to model that well, because you modeled it. Help us to teach uh, our children to rest by resting. That's a, that's a way we trust you, show that we trust you. So thank you for this podcast. I pray that you would spread it far and wide so that moms could be encouraged to honor you with their families. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Erin, for coming on the show. Now, I hope you enjoyed this episode of Gems of Motherhood podcast. If you're wanting to connect with more amazing gems of mothers and more resources, head over to gemsofmotherhood.com where you can subscribe to the show. That's where you'll find show notes with actionable tips and any links mentioned by our guests. Most importantly, I hope you'll find inspiration and learn to cultivate your own journey. You are loved. You're an incredible gem to God. He knows you intimately. He knows what you need. And he knows what you're going through. Remember, you're fearfully and wonderfully made in him. Be sure to tune in next week for our next episode.